let, let me ask you this. You have a very unique background in the sense that before CrossFit, before coaching, you were in, involved in sales. Yes, I was. Yeah. Oof, good 25 years in sales. Yeah. Now, in Silicon Valley. So you were in the heart of it. You're in California selling. And what were you selling? Oranges? <laughs> no electronics. So um, the last position I had uh, four years, I was the director of uh, business development on the Western portion of the U.S., uh, it was a $600 million company based out of London. We had about 10,000 people. And what we made were um, uh, cable assemblies and power cords. And so, the, the, um, for example, the, the cord that goes into your iPhone. So this plug um, and then the wall adapter we made. Um, so that was an account. Uh, matter of fact, the year that I, I, I left that job, um, um, we sold 220 million of those cords to Apple. So you left, I mean, what year did you leave? That must've been in the early 2000s and if Apple was already around making cords. No. So I left, um, that job and moved into coaching full-time in the CrossFit space. So that was, um, want to say July of 2015. Oh, so you were involved in sales for up until somewhat recently then. I actually had a full-time job um, while coaching for free, um, and I was traveling for that job around the world um, just for the responsibilities that I had, the accounts that I had, uh, while coaching um, in the CrossFit space. So I guess CrossFit would have been considered my, my, my hobby, um, but I, I was really actually doing things because I loved it, and I was trying to um, repay what CrossFit gave me back. I mean, I got into CrossFit to restore my, my health from, you know, my triathlon days. And, um, when you age, you know, your family and your friends and your health is your top priority. And, and for me to get my health back, I, I felt like, you know what, if I have some knowledge and some experience that can improve the sport of CrossFit, um, making adaptations more efficient and effective, um, then I would like to contribute my know-how. And it really came from the space of gratitude. And so that's why I did it for free um, for the longest time. So, I mean, you went from being the best in the world at your sport to completely out of coaching and out of the sport and part of the, you know, nine to five world. Yeah, I, I, I was, uh, you know, it's interesting as you age, you get sucked into this this belief that the american dream is is you know we got to get married we got to go into debt and we have to have a job and what happens and then of course when those things get difficult it's time to have a couple of kids and what's interesting about that that is that you never really are looking at yourself you're just saying okay i guess it's time to, to quote grow up um What's interesting for me is that, you know, that I went through that lifestyle and, you know, the kids go off into college and then I'm sitting there and it's like, well, do I really need to be in this position anymore where I'm, I'm, I've got a, a job that I am really good at it, um, but I wasn't passionate about it. And what I was passionate about was CrossFit and what I was doing within the space in terms of coaching and helping others. And it took a lot of courage to just get up and go, you know, after 25 years, um, you know, I was talking with Jason Khalifa and he was one of the original athletes. And he told me, he's like, look, I know you think that you can pull off both things at the same time. And, and he says, but I know the real reason is, is because you're just afraid that if it doesn't work out, that you made a bad choice. And he says, you got to trust yourself that, you know what, if you could dedicate all of your time to coaching, you've got to trust that you're actually going to not only be good at it, but you'll be able to develop a business and you'll be able to develop a successful business. And when you're making those decisions of, of leaving a job and, you know, it's very well paid um, to, to basically, you know, start from scratch, 
that's a dicey time, especially when you're, you know, in your, your late forties, early fifties. So without getting into numbers, would you define yourself as more successful then or now? It's interesting. So uh, I made a lot of money back then, lived in Silicon Valley, lived in um, the same town um, that Facebook's in. Um, and because you are working, you know, 70, 80 hours a week, you make up for that by spending more money. Um, you try and find happiness, you know, to restore that, that, that pump um, in, in spending. And so although you make more money, you spend more money. Um, we actually moved to Cookville, Tennessee a year and a half ago. And the lifestyle out here is completely different than that of, of Northern California. Um, but in terms of overall happiness um, and success, it is significantly greater now than it was at the peak of my my sales career. And you're and you're married, correct? Uh, no, just I, with same person. Yeah, for ten years now. Yeah. So is well, yeah, my better is, half Heidi is, is. Is your relationship better now because of that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that that uh, happened was that. CrossFit, interestingly enough, as soon as I left my job, that was after the 2015 games, um, about four months later, I was approached by CrossFit HQ to partner up uh, with my aerobic capacity course that I was just doing on the side. Um, I'd been doing that course since for a year and a half prior. Um, And when CrossFit came in and wanted a lot of structure associated. They want a certain number of courses uh, per year. It turned into a whole separate business. And so Heidi actually runs that entire business. What I do is, is I give all the seminars. I go to all of the clinics. I teach all of the classes. Um, but she manages all aspects of that business. And so she was able to leave her business um, as a result, which allows us to essentially travel and hang out together, which is, I mean, that's one of the reasons why, you know, if we're talking about happiness, that the fact, I mean, we, we, we get along and she's without a doubt, my best friend and to be able to do that and travel and share health and fitness. I mean, that's a dream. You know, for all the bad talk CrossFit does get from the, you know, people out there, it's like stories like that, you know, two people that have left their job, created a new business and, and get to live happier. It's pretty amazing. And we'll talk about the changes to the preferred courses in a, in a minute, but Cookville has become the Mecca, right? Cookville is where yeah. you need to go. I mean, who's there now? Aside from you, it's Rich, Tia, Frazier, is Josh Bridges there? I mean, He's he's got a piece of property, but I mean, Roy McKernan's moving here in two weeks. Um, I mean, you got Angelo DeChico, you got Nick Palladino, Haley Adams. Haley Adams actually lives in our house. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Asia Persevich just you know she's what twentieth in the world. Yeah, China Cho's here right now. Um, Mackenzie Riley's here right now. I mean, yeah, it's it's, um, the, it's the old school you know Venice Beach of bodybuilding basically. Cookville, Cookville is where you have to go to be in it. Does that make it more enjoyable just to be around these amazing athletes? What makes it really enjoyable for me is that they push me as a coach. Um, their expectations are, um, extremely high. Um, they're not looking for, um, workouts for the sake of, of, of workouts. They're, um, they're looking for something that's creative. It's innovative, um, that it has purpose, that it's, it's more precise. And that has, um, that's helped me evolve as a coach. Um, part of what I recognize is that I learn a lot from athletes, a lot, um, not, not in terms of, of just sampling and testing of workouts, but just the things through observation uh, that that people are able to do, and uh, by having a larger population here in town, you see patterns of behavior, you see patterns of performance. Um, if if I was 
remotely working with them, or if it was just one athlete here, you may just think of that as an anomaly. But um, I have a huge you know, luxury by, by seeing patterns because of, of, of that, that volume, that larger sample size. That was something that actually I learned from Glassman early on. You know, I've known Coach for a long time, and uh, one of the things that I learned uh, was, you know, he had a fitness methodology too back in the day, and um, him and his wife, you know, at that time, Lauren put it up online and put workouts out there for free, and people came by the hundreds and the thousands and the tens of thousands, and that compressed his learning curve. And that's really important, you know, to, to shrink the amount of time uh, to learn what works and what doesn't work. And that's important for the sport. I mean, it's a brand new sport and it's a population within that sport that has never truly been tested. You know, this middle population, this recreational athlete, this general fitness enthusiast. Well, what benefits was your career in sales to your current position as, as coach? I mean, you're 25 years in Silicon Valley. How did that benefit you? So in selling, what you're really doing is that you're, you're taking a, a, uh, a certain situation with a uh, unknown set of variables. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to convince somebody that your offerings um, have value, that they have merit, that it will assist them. Um, and in sales, you know, you can pitch it in a number of ways, price points. Uh, you can pitch it in terms of quality. You can pitch it in terms of um, all other source, right, on-time delivery, all other types of, of deliverables that, that companies find of value. And before that, when I was an athlete, I represented myself um, when I was doing the sport of triathlons and I raced, you know, professionally for eight years. And so my product was myself. And that, that skill of, of pitching yourself as a product or a, another tangible product um, is a skill. And I think that's one of the reasons why the aerobic capacity course has been so successful is because I realize the people showing up are, are coming there for an experience. They, they want to be entertained, um, but their primary purpose is, is that they want to get knowledge. And I think from coming into those seminars from a sales background, I'm able to relate to the, the broad spectrum of people that show up. What I mean by that is we have everybody from zero education to PhDs in exercise physiology uh, from, you know, non-CrossFit athletes all the way to CrossFit Games champions. And you have to provide value across the board. And that is a skill. That's a skill that took me, you know, 25 years in sales and then eight years prior to that as, as you know, an athlete in, in how to drive home uh, information so that it resonates. I think one thing you also do really well is tell stories. You know, and, oh. you know, <laughs> and, I don't know. I, you know but, <laughs> Greg Amundsen used to say, you know, if you if you tell it with a story, I'll remember it forever. You know, so I think that's one thing that really captivates your audience. And it's not a matter of the fact that you're talking about Fraser or Froning or Tia. It's your stories are just you're you're involved, you're engulfed in it, and it's just for me, it was just entertaining. I was in it. So that's, you know, oh, that's awesome. That's, I, I was so, I was so nervous going that, that one on the waves. I was so nervous. Uh, I was shocked. I mean, what, there must've been 500 people. Yeah. Um, you, you filled the ice skating rink for sure. Yeah. I mean, that was just, that was, it was, um, you know, it's interesting for me. I think back when I was a kid and I was terrible in public speaking. As a matter of fact, I was in seventh grade and I had a speech teacher, Miss Fields, and it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare that, that, you know, getting up in front of, you know, your class and having to, to speak in front of them. I, I, I struggled with it for a really long time. And it's interesting that, that now I'm, I find myself in front of people all the time. And 
I think that that you know it's interesting when I think back back from seventh grade and how awful those experiences are, and then from what on the waves and getting in front of you know several hundred people and coming up with unique content. Those three different speeches that I gave, um, it comes down to preparation. You know, you've got to be prepared, and the key is 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 you know people are are have all the same expectation. They want to have very simple content that's relatable. And a lot of times, if you come in with a bunch of scientific jargon, people don't remember. It doesn't resonate. Um, And what you have to do is you have to put it in very simplistic terms. But more importantly, if you can dovetail that content with a story that they'll remember, then they'll never forget. They'll never forget the content because they'll remember the story. And that's the key. Um, it's interesting that my course with, you know, as, as a uh, subject matter expert, you know, with CrossFit, I told these stories and that was very unusual for a course to be telling stories. Um, but now the level ones and level twos have adopted that concept that they're not following that script format anymore. And it's more, um, it's more authentic. Yeah. Being on the, the staff or nearly seven years, I can tell you that I've seen the the transition of when it was very much like, this is what you have to say versus throw in, there's parts of it where it's like, add your story here. And I love it because it's fun for me as the deliverer of the, of the message to, to be able to throw in a true story that I believe in, you know, and, and is real to me. And what you said that a lot of the guests we've had some of the best coaches in the world on, and they all say the same thing. It needs to be simple. No one cares. Yeah. The truth is, I don't care about lactic acid and what's happening in my body. I want it to flush and show me how to do it. And if that means yeah. pressing PVC over my head for two minutes after handstand pushups, cool. You know, it's yeah, I think that I think that that's the key is that you have to sit. So, like, I, I will tell people, it's like you know, when we talk about these lactate clearance workouts. This concept has been around for a hundred years and it is applicable to any movement that we want. Well, the problem is, is that if you cite a bunch of examples, people still don't get it. But if I turn around and I say, no, 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 a lactate clearance workout is taking two movements that are virtually the same. One movement's a very high intensity. The other is very low intensity. So a good example is running, take a running sprint that creates fatigue. And then what you're going to do is clear that fatigue in a slow recovery jog, sprint into a jog. That's a lactate clearance workout. And you can apply it towards any movement. You just have to follow the same parameters. It has to be simple, but you have to tell a story. So in their head, they're like, oh, he said running sprint into running jog, create fatigue, clear fatigue. Got it. And, you know, I think in, Funny, you know, I remember your stories. You involved, I think, Spencer Hendel talking about handstand pushups and yeah. Matt Frazier yeah. talking about how he couldn't find the right pace on the jog, I believe you were saying. So it's like those stories, yeah. you know, from January are still in my head. It's it's really wild. It's really impressive. Now, you you mentioned earlier you were coaching CrossFit for free for years and you took advice from Jason Kalipa. Now, at the time, Kalipa was probably not even 30. How hard was it, yeah. you know, as a 50-year-old man who's had this incredible success to look at someone like Kalipa, granted he's been successful, and heed his advice? I mean, that's the thing is that my judge of, of character, just being in sales and personalities, um, I, 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 I've gotten pretty good at, at, at reading people and Jason is is one that I spent a tremendous amount of time with um, back in the beginning, and we talked a lot. Uh, I have a lot of respect for just his educational background, uh, as well as his forward-looking um, thinking. Um, his concepts are very advanced, and I have a lot of really, even to today, I have very good conversations with him about what he's doing, what I'm doing. Um, and so I respect him in that way. Uh, the thing that, that, that resonated when he spoke to me about 
having two jobs and myself thinking that I can pull them off, I never really thought about what it would be like if I had all of that time just to one position. And I got to thinking about it every time when I would go from coaching in the CrossFit space back into my regular job, I would have to almost take a warm down out of my CrossFit position and then restart my thinking into my job job. And I would have a lot of lag uh, between those. And when I eliminated my, my full-time job and went straight into CrossFit, I had no longer had that lag. And what I was able to do was build upon that creativity uh, on levels that I've never seen before. And that happened immediately, immediately. So there's people listening that are probably in a similar position as you. They want to be a full-time CrossFit coach, or maybe they already own an affiliate. And my advice has always been, because I've never had a, you know, quote unquote, real job. It's always been fitness one way or the other. So I'm always like, Leave your- <laughs> this is a real job. This is a real job. I get it. But, you know, I'll have you talk to my mom after this and you can explain that to her. Um, so right. what, what's your advice to them? You know, it's easy to see. Well, yeah, of course, it, it was Chris Hinshaw and he's this and that. But they didn't see the years of free training, you know. So what's, what's your advice to them? I mean, you've basically given it in that you can't really be 100% devoted to two things. But what else would you tell them? So it's interesting. I think back when I was before, you know, when I was doing it for free, um, I took a lot of heat uh, for what I was doing. Uh, I mean, this was back, so take 20, end of 2012, 2013, I was talking about pacing. I was talking about, I mean, I had Jason Kalipa do a 20 mile run three weeks before the CrossFit games, 20 miles. What was the that point was of that? Unheard of. What well, I mean, one of the things I wanted to build up his confidence and show him that he was able to do something that was seemingly impossible and to do it with relative ease. I wanted that, that confidence boost that he is not the same person that was ever going to the games in the past. Because Jason, one of the things that, that I had to address was his, his lack of confidence. I mean, here's a guy that, that was finishing last in every endurance event at the CrossFit Games, and he's tried with, through his influence of finding people and, and resources to, to turn that around. And when I was working with him, it became very clear that that was something that sat in the back of his mind all the time. I'm still going to go to the CrossFit Games and finish last. And when he did that, that 20-mile run, he realized that he did the seemingly impossible. But more importantly, the next week, I gave him a workout that is called Yasso's 800. It's a marathon uh, predictor workout. It's 10 by 800 meters. Uh, where the rest is a one-to-one work-to-rest ratio. And he averaged two minutes and 57 seconds for those 10 800s. So sub-six-minute mile pace. That's incredible. Yeah, for a two. Right. And so part of it was is that I wanted to give him workouts that were considered the, the, the peak of the peak within the running world. I'm not talking about like, CrossFit space. I'm talking about the most extreme because I had to break him of that that confidence barrier. And when he did that, that 257, that really showed him that this guy's ready. I'm ready to get after it. That that was very controversial back in 2013, what I was doing. It was very controversial, but part of it was is that I know the value of slow twitch fibers. I know the value of your aerobic system, and I knew that that was his biggest weakness. And so from a physiological standpoint, I needed to fix that. So I had the physical issue, but I also had that mental, emotional issue that I had to cure. We'll flash forward a few weeks, and then we have a half marathon row. Yeah, so we... That he yep. winds up we, winning. Yep. So it was uh, there was a two k into a half marathon, and then there was also they had a swim earlier in that that day, 
Um, and he had worked on, you know, through me as swimming and, um, yeah, he finished out that first day in first place by a substantial margin. Matter of fact, that year there was four endurance events and he won three out of four and got a third in the, uh, the, uh, fourth one. And yeah, the burden running one. And then there was that naughty Nancy that he got third behind. It was, uh, Josh Bridges and Froning and then Kalipa, but that was, you know, just because you have a good performance and I'm so grateful for Jason, not only given the opportunity, but you know, the fact that he delivered. Um, and then that year I coached Garrett Fisher who placed fifth and Neil Maddox. That does not prove that you have anything, you know, just cause you have three athletes that do something unique. It doesn't mean anything. Um, I met Camille um, in, in June of 13 and, and programmed her, um, and then she won the games in 14 and that still didn't mean anything. Um, what I was trying to do was really find my own unique space within the CrossFit community, but I wanted to prove that I had something of value. And so I was constantly, honestly, trying to sabotage, um, my own history in the sport by going out and getting more difficult athletes. You know, like when I brought on Rich Froning, I, I knew I could make Rich a better runner um, because he had just walked in that triple three event. Um, but just because you make him a good runner, what if I ruined him as a CrossFitter? Same thing, Frazier. You know, I met Frazier at the end of 14 and started working with him. And, and I knew I could make him a better runner. But what if I ruined him as a weightlifter? Uh, and so I would take on any athlete. The bigger the challenge, the better. I mean, two years ago, well, last year I had Car Webb for nine months. Here's an athlete that her fastest mile time uh, was six minutes and 40 sec, four, uh, like 43 seconds, six minutes, 43 seconds. And five weeks before the CrossFit game, she ran a 547 mile. I mean, you're taking a minute, a minute off an elite athlete's mile time in a in months. Yeah, who finished. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, podium athlete at the games and you would think how on earth do you get Cara Webb to be able to run sub six? Well, I mean, I, she did all the work, but it, it was a challenge to whether or not it could be done. And that's what I've always done. I've never sat back and go, Oh, I, you know, my claim to fame was Jason Kalipa in 2013 and he got, you know, second place at the CrossFit games. I am constantly finding and pushing my own evolution as a coach. And I think a lot of times coaches, they don't, they sit back and, and, and they, they rest on something that happened, you know, so long ago, it almost doesn't count. And, and I think you can make that, that statement about it any career even right there's probably when you were in sales 15 years in you're not like how can i become a better salesperson you're just like i'm making money this is going great part of it is well not not, not me uh, <laughs> not that's why i got into lots of trouble boy <laughs> I, I, I mean i mean part of it is is that you want to always be innovative and i think that my the juice for me is 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 that constant quest for better um not only in terms of of of, you know, my, my own evolution as an individual, but also my work product. And uh, that's why in my, my seminar, I give away, I mean, you, I, I give away all of my information, everything. The, the only thing that I hold back are athletes performances because, you know, they don't share them. It's not my, that's not my information to share, but people always ask me, they're like, wow, you give away everything in your course. Like, where's your intellectual property? I go, well, first of all, if I give everything away, it forces me to go out and learn something else. And honestly, I think that my intellectual property is the writing of workouts. That's what I do. I mean, I write a lot of workouts. Um, but if, if I didn't give away content, I think that I would no longer evolve. You remind me of stand-up comedians because the best stand-up comedians take their, their closing act and then put it in the front of their act because that forces yeah. them to create a new ending That's to their awesome. show. Um, yeah. Now, this day and age, you're well renowned. You know, everyone knows you. 
how hard was it for you to convince Kalipa in 2013 to do some of the crazy things you were telling him to do? You went from, I'm coaching for free, you find Jason Kalipa, I assume, because you're both out in the, you know, NorCal area. And I don't think it goes from, hey, nice to meet you, go run 20 miles. Well, so here was the thing is that, uh, so I had been at Santa Cruz Central for three years. uh, And then I realized that there's more than one CrossFit gym. And so, and I was driving an hour. So I looked online and I found NorCal CrossFit. And at that time, this was in 2011. um, They were not doing any cardio in the programming. It was all barbell work. And I was running two times a week on the side. So that was a good place for me to go. I met Jay uh, a year after being there. And um, interestingly enough, he called me uh, a month after meeting him. So this was in late 2012. And the reason why he was, he was, I, I was so successful with him was because in that initial call, he told me, he says, he said two things. I, I want to know what you're going to be doing. I want to know your direction. But he said, I will never question you. I will never question it. And I will always do whatever you ask of me. And so those two things of, of not questioning the direction I'm going and always doing what I ask made him coachable. I mean, it really defined what I'm looking for in athletes. And honestly, there are a lot of athletes that are out there especially in the CrossFit space that are just not coachable. Well, I was going to ask you, have you, have you had to deal with that? Oh yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it's part of the thing is, is that you want, you, you need athletes that are, are honest with their level of commitment. For example, if an athlete comes to you and says, I want to win the CrossFit games. Well, I know what it takes to do that. Um, and if they don't want to put the work in, they don't want to make that commitment, there is a, a, a mismatch in that relationship because you're telling me one thing, but your actions are something different. Now, I much rather have an athlete that says, look, I just want to, I just want to finish in the top 10. Or better yet, I just want to finish in the top 20. Now, that changes a lot. That changes a lot. Part of it is, is that athletes, um, they're not, they're not honest with their ambitions. Now with, with the change to the games, is that changing how you're programming for your athletes? We don't know what's to come, but I think there's some speculation that day one's going to have this major cut and you can can assume it's going to be some sort of long, you know, distance run, bike or swim where a thousand people can go at it. Does that change? What's that? I agree with you. I agree with you. I think it's going to be a long run. I think that it's going to be a 5K. Um, it has to be a mass a start, right? It has to be something where a thousand right. people, three, two, one, were taking yeah. the top hundred. So is that changing now what yeah. you're doing for your athletes? But it's speculation. So, I mean, so the way I write workouts now, um, I, what I'm doing is, is I'm, I'm, so a lot of the athletes that I work with, I've been with them for a long time. So the trust is there, the confidence between the two of us are there. Um, the precision in the workouts that I write are there. So what I do is I, I want to empower them. Part of what you want to do with an athlete is, is that you always have an underlining game plan. You always have a primary objective, but you also have a lot of indirect things that are happening in parallel. Because again, what we're looking for is is efficiency in the programming. We don't want to just accomplish one thing and then move to another. If I can accomplish 10 things in parallel, now I am compressing the learning curve. And that's what I do is that with these elites. And so part is, is that I, I am writing workouts now that are based upon time domain. Um, so Frazier, for example, has workouts that are, that target a two to three minute time domain, a five to six minute time domain, a 10 to 12 minute time domain, and then a 20 plus minute time domain. And what he gets is he gets three different workouts, um, 
for each time domain, one is running on the air runner, one is running on the open road, and one is running on the track. And they're all personalized for him. They all have precise distances. They have precise time domains for those distances and precise recovery uh, time domains, whether it's passive recovery or an active recovery. And the progression is self-guided. So the workouts get more and more difficult as you move down the page. Um, and each time he does a workout, I will update all of his paces that, that waterfall below it. But what I look at is how fast is he moving down that list? Because the workouts get progressively more challenging. So for example, he would not be able to do the workouts on the bottom of the, the spreadsheet. They're just too difficult. So what I do is where are you and how many jumps down the page are you taking? And that tells me a lot about his frame of mind. That sounds like a lot of work for you. I mean, granted for Matt as well, but for you, how much time does that take for every individual athlete on a weekly basis? Well, it takes a while. I mean, I spend a lot of time on it, but honestly, I love, I love writing workouts and the way I, I, they really do pop into my head and I like creating almost like a, it's like a puzzle. Um, you know, one of the things that was interesting, I mean, just a puzzle, like I like numbers and I like matching of things and I like making sure that workouts have this focus or intent behind them, you know, with this purpose. And one of the things that, that, you know, we look at in our sport, 2159, what does it even mean? doesn't mean anything. Right, really. the random numbers, numbers that Coach Glassman came up with. Right, but imagine if we're doing Fran and we have a 21-15-9, and what we're going to do is we're going to do 21-15-9, but we're going to do it this way. What I want you to do is I want you to actually do the 21 using your slow twitch aerobic fibers. What I want is I don't want the weight to be heavy, and I don't want you to move that barbell fast. I just want you to move, and I want it to be aerobic. Then when we get into the 15, what I want is that I want it to be glycolytic. I want it to be fast twitch two-way muscle fiber. So we're going to go to a different barbell weight, but this time you're going to have to use those intermediate fibers. And then for your nine, we're going to go to even a heavier weight because we want to exercise those fastest of the fast, those 2B fibers. Now, 21-15-9 actually has some meaning. That's what I like writing. That's what I want people to be, I mean... That's what I have my athletes doing. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I'm immediately thinking about the weights I would have to use in Fran to accomplish that task. You know, probably significantly lighter than Matt, but it'd be relative to me. Now, you coach... But what if, but what if you just, yeah, just do 75, 95, and, and you know, 115? I would, that's exactly what I was thinking with 135 on the yeah. nines, but that's where my head went. There you go. Now, yeah. You coach so many of the game's athletes. Is, are you able to stay objective and not – I had Dallin on recently, Dallin Pepper, and yeah. our our mutual friend Matt Torres. You know Matt from Brute Strength? Yeah, I do. Coaches, yep. like all those guys that train together for the kids. And I asked Dallin, joking, I'm like, who's his favorite? Are you able to do this without biasing who you favor as far of a, as coaching? Yeah, I don't, I don't look at when, when I'm looking at um, the, I never see them as a grouping or a pool. Never. I, I always look upon them as individuals and, and they're a puzzle for me. Um, just because Katrin does one thing and, and, you know, Cara does a different thing or Camille does something else. They're apples and oranges. Um, if I try and, and do create similarities between them, that is not the highest and best use of their time as individuals. You have to remember that these athletes are at the tip of the spear. I mean, these are ones that you can't just have this generic programming. They're, they're anomalies. They're not the, they're not the ones that, that are in general population. And so, I have to find things that are truly unique and individualized for them. That's what I have to do. So just because Katrin posts a post on Instagram that it's your birthday, 
you don't start thinking about her like I want to make her the champion this year. You can, you're I want to make them all the best they could possibly be. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's what I really truly do. I mean, I think about it. It's like, I mean, when I had my first conversation with Cara Webb, so we started, um, so, so, so that was in uh, 1817. So this was in October of 2017. And she told me, she says, I want to break six. My number one goal is I want to break six minutes for a mile. This is now, she, she had just gotten back from the games and that's what she tells me. That's in my very first conversation with her. So does Katrin or, or Sarah or Tia, their, their information is irrelevant because I have a specific task that she wants to do that. And so for me, it's, it's total, I don't even think about it, to be honest. I, I, that's why when I look at the workouts and the things that I write, it's, it's generally, it's around the individual themselves. Now, if I take it for general population, those workouts are much more generic. Um, those ones are, are safer. Um, they're, they're, they're less challenging. Um, there's, there's more, a greater margin of error. Um, because part of it is, is that the, you know, I, I believe that in order to have solid retention, you've got to challenge people and they have to feel that they've been challenged. But if they're not successful all the way to that final rep, then they're not going to come back. Of all the athletes who's, who under your guidance has made the most progress as far as where they were to where they are currently. Wow. I, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, it, the progress has been, I mean, I take, I, Katrin, so, you know, what's interesting is that Katrin, I got to know Katrin in uh, 2013. Um, so she reached out to Kalipa, sent him an email and asked him if he would be interested in, in coaching her. And Jason responded back by saying he doesn't coach people and, you know, he just doesn't do that, especially one-on-one anymore. And she writes back and she says, well, but I, I really am mostly interested in, in, you know, the endurance programming that you, you, you did. And, and if you would be willing to help me with that. And so Jason, who copies me on this email said, well, actually I, I I don't do my endurance programming. um, And I've copied my coach, Chris Hinshaw here. Maybe the two of you can get together. Katrin immediately writes me and says, I just want you to know that all I was trying to do was get your email. <laughs> and I'm not interested in him coaching. I only wanted you. And which was cool because she was, what, 20 years old at the time? And um, interestingly enough, I mean, her mile time has improved over a minute. Um, you know, she is, in my opinion, one of the fastest endurance athletes the best in the sport um and so i'm 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 really proud of her i i mean all of the athletes are just unique in the way like i mean just take tia tia struggled with her closing speed you know her her cycle time of movement her definition of intensity was not truly high intensity and so every athlete had a unique set of characteristics that that is where the, where I was like measuring the improvement. Um, and that's how I was judging myself. So who improved the best? It, 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 the variables are just so different. Um, and, and again, I don't think of them as a group. I, I, they're always just individualized. Um, I do love the fact that Frazier came from an Olympic weightlifting background. Um, and I love the fact that when I met with him, I said, you know, are you concerned? that you're going to get weaker by doing a, a two day a week run program. And he told me, he says, you know what, Chris, he said, I never want to finish second ever, ever again. I don't. And I'm willing to knock myself off the podium, even out of the top 10 in order to fix this, because if I don't fix it, I'm never going to win. And I like that. And I like the fact that that he actually has gotten stronger while doing this. That, that's a great mindset. That's just so impressive to hear. I, mean, I, mean, yeah. I think you could talk about this forever, as could I, but I, I don't want you to leave without telling me more about the, the trail run that you're responsible for out in Kauai. When we init- initially tried to, to get on our interview, mm-hmm. 
you were, you know, six hour time difference instead of one or two. And you've done some amazing things out there. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, thank you. So the um, Keala Foundation is a nonprofit organization over in Kauai. Uh, They're the organization that puts on the ultimate Hawaiian trail run. And yeah, I'm sorry about missing that. The last when we were having originally scheduled, it was, I went over there to help out. We, Heidi and I went over, we just bought one-way tickets and we wanted to stay for as, as long as we could, um, you know, have positive impact. Uh, what they do, their primary charter is to, to give the kids on the island of Kauai an alternative um, to what has traditionally been, um, you know, drugs and alcohol abuse as they age. And there's now over 600 kids in the program, and the program provides CrossFit um, to these kids for free. Um, the organization actually picks the kids up from school, uh, takes them to the gym, trains them, coaches them, feeds them, and then takes them home. And it's truly driven by charitable donations. And so we did, you know, some fundraisers, but it's a, it's a cause that Heidi and I have been involved in from the beginning. And it's interesting when you give and if I I mean, I've done a lot of volunteering, um, but I get rewards from it uh, in, in terms of, of accolades from the public, right? If, if someone wins the games, when you give to a a charitable um, nonprofit that, that especially kids, Uh, one of the things that you quickly realize is that you don't expect anything in return, nothing. And you're just doing it because this is just what you you feel like and you want to do. It's your choice to do it. And you're going to give without any expectation. And when you're able to do that, and this is one of the things that's very addictive for me is that feeling of, of giving without expectation of return is a level of reward that I've never felt before. And I, I do feel for these kids. I do feel for uh, these uh, Hawaiian families, the island families, um, and, and what's been happening. And I want to do what I can to help them. But the reward in terms of personal satisfaction in, in that, that effort has been, it's been immensely um, rewarding for me and, and Heidi. Um, so if anybody does want to, to contribute, one of the things that you could either do is you can go over and do, uh, the trail run, which is, uh, middle of September. Um, and then we're also planning, um, a very unique, uh, camp that is going to be coached by elite level CrossFit coaches, uh, and then champions, um, from the CrossFit games. Um, we're going to be having it at mayhem and all of the money that is raised will go into, uh, the foundation as well as into, uh, Rich and Hillary Froning's primary charity, which is Mustard Seed Ranch, both kids organizations. So that camp's going to be something cool. Uh, we're looking at doing that either in December or March, uh, at CrossFit mayhem. So that will be cool. That sounds really amazing. And it's, it's funny to hear you say you're addicted to this. It's like there are worse things to be addicted to than helping helping other human beings, right? Um, and I've heard yeah. I've never been to the trail run, but my good friend uh, MDV who works with Jason. Oh yeah, yeah. He, um, yep. He's been going for years, and he always tries to get me out there. So maybe this will be the Euros. Just on Kauai, it's my favorite island, and um, I'd love to help I'm out. Telling with you, that. I'm telling you, it will give you chills to just watch and and see what's going on. Um, you know, I never was aware of. It's interesting that 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 we all see what we want to see, and and I, I have been going. I mean, the, the Ironman was held in Kona. I've been going in, to Hawaii since I was a kid. You know, and racing, um, and I've never seen drugs or anything. And the the founder, Aaron Hoff. Um, I was going to a beach. We were doing a cliff jump off of this this uh, cliff into the ocean uh, called Shipwrecks. And I told him, I said, I've been coming here a long time and I've never seen what you're talking about. This was in the first year. And he says, well, that's because you see what you want to see. And you see coconuts and Mai Tais and palm trees and 
And so we pull into this beach and he says, I'll just show you right now that you see what you want to see. And he right there on the beach, it was, I mean, groups of people um, right as we exited the parking lot and then along the tree line as we were walking to the cliff. And it's just in broad daylight and it's shocking. And now when I go, I, I can't shake that. I see it all the time and I feel for the kids that are, are caught up in that. And I would like to give them, or at least make my best effort to give them an option, to give them a choice. And, you know, some make the, the choice that's, you know, the wrong one, but if they have an alternative, then you know what, you always had a choice. And I love the fact that they're giving them a choice of fitness. This is one of the things that, you know, it's interesting, all of these changes that are happening in the sport. Glassman has done an amazing amount of work to help these kids over there and never once has done anything. I mean, without his contribution to help, um, the success of this program would still be in its infancy. What he has done is is on a level of of such massive significance, and his chair, his his generosity as far as helping has it's 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 interesting that that that's something that he doesn't even bother to to share. But it's it's truly remarkable his his level of giving. Yeah, I mean, this is a very biased program in favor of Coach Glassman because it's changed my life. So whenever people talk badly and complain, I'm just, you know, you you can't explain to them that they have no idea what the man has brought to this world and what he does that goes unmentioned. And, you know, all while while founding a new sport and running a billion dollar company, you know, he sure he makes some crazy decisions, but he's also a visionary. And there's probably a lot of crazy decisions that brought us CrossFit, too. Now, and, and speaking of, yep. there have been some changes that have affected you recently, right? The pref- we're no longer a specialty course, we're a preferred course. How, how is that impacting you and the aerobic capacity seminar? For us, it, 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 it hasn't. I mean, so we, we had our own course before CrossFit, um, and it's just reverting back. For us, it just gives you a lot more latitude uh, in, in how you manage your course, how you manage your content, how you evolve your course, uh, the number of courses that you do. Um, it just gives us a lot more flexibility. Um, I do worry about the model long-term, um, being truthful about it. I think that if they're truly opening up and this, you know, courses, um, to, to, of the whole population by paying an, you know, the annual $5,000 fee and yes. Okay. They have to go through an approval process. But the fact is, is that if there's one weightlifting course now, and let's say there's five down the road, is there, is the assumption going to be that there's going to be five times the quantity of participants now going to weightlifting courses or are the weightlifting courses that, are being filled today going to get cut, um, you know, by, you know, by fifths. So instead of having, you know, 40 people in a course, you now, unfortunately, you're going to have eight people in the course. I I mean, I think the benefit for you is you've established, established yourself as the expert. There's not going to be Jason's aerobic capacity course that competes with, with what you're putting out there and everything you've discussed in the last hour is why yeah. you will stay on top. Well, thank you. I mean, I, that's why I feel I, like for me, I, I've always evolved my course. Always. I've always kept it on leading edge. I, I, I also teach them all. I mean, part of it is, is that I want to know where the, you know, the sport is like what's driving the sport today. Where are, you know, the, the levels of interest um, as far as the coaches, uh, the affiliate owners and the athletes that are attending my course, what is their hot buttons? I mean, for example, I, I added pacing into my course about a year ago as far as not just the skill of pacing, but how do you pace a workout that you've never done before? Like, how do you do it? Like coaches will openly say, oh, just find your maximum sustainable intensity and stay there. Okay, where do you do that? How do I judge that? How do I reflect on it to see whether or not I did it correctly or not? 
How do I own that as an athlete? And I added that in there because for me, I didn't know that that was a question. And I realized that a lot of people, I mean, pacing is a huge buzzword in the sport, but how, do you, I mean, for example, do you pace everything? You know, like, well, if it's a six seconds max effort sled sprint, you're not going to pace it. So at what point in time do you actually start pacing and why? And I evolved that into the sport because I realized it had value and that there was interest. Um, and I think that my approach as far as sharing all of my latest things that I've been working on and what, what actually drives adaptation um, keeps the course fresh. Like the people that went two years ago that, you know, if they came today, it would be a, it's a totally different course. It's more advanced because let's face it, our sports evolving rapidly. Yours is one of the handful of courses, if not the only one where every time I ask someone what they thought, they're like, you need to go check it out. And if CrossFit ever gives me a weekend off, I will be there. Um, and, I'd love to have you, man. And I, you know, while on the waves, you talked for probably three to four hours, and I assume it's a lot of what went on there. And I told tell you what, my wife and I, as soon as we left, we're like, next time he's around, we need to go check that out. That was that good. And I hate running. I hate all the stuff you're teaching as far as the monostructural yeah. stuff, but it, that's why I need to yeah. do it too. But it's just just listening to you. Just yeah, I mean, talk. I. I I, I mean, I, part of it is, like I said, is like, I'm trying to make it a good experience for everybody. And, um, I don't use notes during mine. Um, you know, I look at the audience and I look at, you know, whether or not they're getting it and I can either pick up or slow down. And, uh, part of it is, is, is I do also recognize people don't like to run. And one of the things that I do in the first workout is we run and, because I have changed the format of it uh, to focus on a skill and not necessarily intensity, um, essentially creating a game out of it, people love it. And it, it shows them that if a workout is programmed properly, running is actually enjoyable. And that's, that's what I want people to recognize is, you know what, you can do workouts that are not always focused on the biggest and the baddest and the strongest, maybe we should focus on skills so that the person who just walked into the gym for the very first time has a chance to shine. And that's what drives me is that I realize that, you know, if I'm always focused on, on programming around Rich Froninger or Matt Frazier, I'm leaving 99.9% .9 of the people behind. And that's what you realize when you come to the course you realize that what he's doing is writing, not just running workouts, but weightlifting gymnastic workouts that are for general population, the people that are just looking for better fitness. Very, very, very true. Rumor on the street, and I'm going to let you go in a minute. Rumor on the street is your favorite cheat meal is Ruffles potato chips. Is that true? <laughs> it is actually i love i mean boy i could go right now into the pantry and get you a bag of ruffles low fat with sea salt and but i gotta have it with onion dip if it i have that yep that's my death row meal actually i just want to i want to <laughs> i want some onion dip and a bag of chips death row you're still going low fat though i mean at that <laughs> point are you just like get me some regular chips you know what? You always got to have hope. Yeah. <laughs> you got to have some hope that maybe. Was that what you craved when you finished the triathlon? You just salt? Is that why it still resonates so much with you? You know, that's funny because I, so in the Ironman in, in Hawaii, Kona, um, we would park our car um, near, so the start finish line down by the pier and we would park our car in a, um, a shopping center um, that was probably a quarter mile away. Um, and in that shopping center was uh, a Kentucky Fried Chicken. And my post Ironman meal was a bucket of original chicken. And I would sit down and that's what I would eat. And it was, I mean, people would say, oh, you can get sick. I didn't get sick ever. And I'd eat the whole thing. Yep. That was yep. my post meal. You mentioned earlier you, you want to give back to CrossFit because it got you healthy again. Are you healthier now as a, as a CrossFit athlete than you were when you were competing in the Ironman? 
That's a great question. Um, I, yes, in terms of health, absolutely. I I remember doing. Um, so I, I, I mean, I was a decent runner, you know, low 30 minutes for a 10K. And I remember doing the beta breakers in San Francisco, which had about 70,000 people in it. And I had to laterally move to get around people. And I, every now and then would get bumped by somebody on my side and it almost knocked me over. Like I was, I was really good at going in one continuous direction. But if I had to move laterally, there's no way I was going to break. I, I couldn't do those moves. And that is not an issue today. Um, I really, truly regret uh, not. I, I never understood why I didn't have finishing sprints, finishing kicks. I never understood why if a run had hills uh, that I would get dropped going up hills, why I didn't have any power output. Um, I never understood it. And the mistake was, is that I didn't actually develop my fast twitch fibers. Now, granted, I didn't have a lot of them, but I still had 12% of my capacity was fast twitch. And you know what? They were passive because I never trained them. I could have been better. I could have been better. And that's where I've learned from CrossFit is that, especially with the elites, is that I don't, I, I don't want them to make those mistakes. I don't want them to look back and go, man, I could have been better. I could have been better. I want them to take advantage of every opportunity to maximize performance because their window is so short. When it's over, it's over. Um, and so I look back now, I, 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 without a doubt, because of CrossFit, I am, I am healthier and more fit. And I wish that I could have had the same ability back then because I would have been better and I would have been more durable. Would you have won the Hawaiian Ironman? It's hard to say. I mean, there's so many variables over there. I, I, it's just hard to say because I know how hard I was training and I know that I had, I mean, when the gods came down and handed out genetic gifts, um, I mean, my lung capacity is 50% larger. My body fat back then was 3.4. Um, I had a VO2 in the movement of running of 89 milliliters per kilogram per minute. Uh, my slow twitch, I've had biopsies in my shoulder, my legs, um, 88% slow twitch. I mean, I was made for moving fast uh, for long amounts of time. And I wonder if I had fully developed my arsenal of fibers, what could have been. And, and you know, I'll never know. I'll never know. But I had a good run. That's the thing is I had a good run. And for that, I am, I, boy, I, I, I had such a good time. Well, I think you're very similar to me in that you wouldn't change anything because you wouldn't be where you are today without right. everything you've done. Uh, last question that I ask every guest is, do you have any book that you recommend the listeners check out? doesn't have to be about aerobic capacity, but just a book that you've recommended over the years of your life. Uh, a Man in Full. Who's the author of that? You know, well, I can't remember. When, when are we going to get a book from you? Oh boy. I, you know, so it's interesting that, uh, it's so part of, I do a lot of just writing and what I do when I write things is that I throw things into folders and these folders actually are chapters. And, um, I, I was asked about a year ago, whether or not, you know, I'd be interested in just writing a book to, to put all of this together into one concise space and I'll tell you what my problem is. I don't feel like I've, I've got it, you know, figured out. I don't feel like I have it down yet. I feel like I need to learn more. Um, and, and maybe that's just my own insecurities, but I, I feel like there's another piece out there that I need to, to put into the puzzle so that it's complete. Um, but I think about it all the time. I really do because I don't write blog articles um, because I spend so much time programming of workouts and analyzing, um, athletes strengths and weaknesses, but yeah, it would be a very interesting, um, piece just in the sense that the way I assess, uh, individuals and how I prescribe to create adaptation is, is somewhat unique. Um, 
And I think that our market, uh, especially for, you know, I'll tell you a story. So I was, I was with this potential sponsor and this is a big name company, massive, one of the huge company. And this guy sits down and he says, I'm not sure, you know, why you're here. I don't understand what the purpose that you can provide our company that we work with a lot of Olympian level coaches and you're a CrossFit coach. Matter of fact, you're only a, a specialist within the CrossFit space. I don't see where the value is. And I told him, I said, you know, I agree. You guys have Olympian level coaches and I have no interest in coaching an Olympian level athlete. I don't. What my interest is, is that I'm interested in providing to the fitness enthusiast, the recreational athlete, the one that wants to go out and run one to two times per week. And what I want to do is I want to give them the best performance and the best experience that they can in their local 5K or 10K event. That's what I'm interested in. And what's interesting is that I'm the best in the world at doing that. And that represents 99.9% .9 of the population. That's what we do in CrossFit, that we are targeting the people that don't want to win in the Olympics. These are ones that are targeting fitness. And it represents 99.9% .9 of the people. And that's what makes CrossFit so amazing is that there is a sport for the athletes that before there wasn't one. If you weren't on the extremes in terms of endurance or speed, strength, and power, you eventually were removed. And the same thing with coaches. We have a chance to really truly create greatness for ourselves because it represents 99.9% .9 of the population out there. This population wants to do a variety of things. And you know what? If you can provide something within that space that drives adaptation more efficiently and effectively, then you know what? You will find some greatness for yourself. Well, I think that's a great way to end this interview. That was, you know, profound amongst many things you said. Uh, that was truly, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm motivated right now. I almost want to go out and run, Chris. So... <laughs> <laughs> I, come to the course, come to the course and let me trick you into having a good time yeah. into that run. Yeah, I, I, I'll make I, it fun. I, I will do that. I will do that. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate all you've done for, for the community. And I look forward to, I would love to be a part of, of helping out your foundation in, in the next year and in the future. Love it, man. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. It's a nice interview. A lot of good stuff too. Never been talked about. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. Take a moment, head over to the Apple Podcast app or Spotify or Google or whatever you use and leave us a review. It really means a lot to us and it's what allows us to spread the word. Also, share this with your friends, your family, your coworkers. Tell everybody at the box to listen to Best Hour of Their Day and let us know what we can do to provide you a better experience? Do you have topics you want us to talk about? People you want us to interview? We are here for you, the community. We're here to give back and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Best Hour of Their Day.